everyone to the new series of Leader of Leaders. My name is Diana Daniels. I am from the YPO Greater Europe and I am also founder and CEO of Tinkerlink, a social marketplace helping people to find jobs and get paid. And it is my total pleasure to be leading the Leader of Leaders new series of podcasts brought to you by the YPO Leadership Development Network. Today with us is Fleur Heinz, an amazing social entrepreneur based out of Cape Town, South Africa. And also, Fleur is born in the UK. She's actually Dutch. And Fleur, you're being super international. You expanded your startup global trader all the way from London to Toronto, Bangkok, Moscow, Dublin. Then you founded Yatrade and this electronic retail banking platform out of Russia. And since then, you've been focusing all your efforts in being a seed angel investor, advisor for so many organizations, and now you are focused on impact. So I want to welcome for it. And I want to just right away go with the first question. What's going on in South Africa? How come you went from all the way to Europe to South Africa? Hi, Diana. Well, well, thank you for having me. Yeah, South Africa is a, is a funny thing. You know, you find in life that a lot of things come circling back to you. So I initially, I mean, you're right. I'm Dutch by parenthood. My parents are Dutch, but I was born in the UK. I grew up a little bit um, all over the world because my father was an expat for, for a large Dutch company. And I ended up going to South Africa in 1998 when I was working for an American bank in London called JP Morgan. And I was an analyst sort of working my ass off from, you know, 7 a.m. to 4 a.m. And just getting bored, sitting by the fax machine, waiting for some managing director to make up their mind what they were going to do next. So um, there were a couple of friends that were on my floor and one was South African and another one from another emerging market. And I just asked, you know, hey, can I maybe go to Argentina? I have no idea why I asked for Argentina or South Africa. And South Africa was very much because I just read Nelson Mandela's Long Walk to Freedom and I was very inspired, you know, being Dutch, British sort of thing to go down there. And uh, yeah, at the age of 23, thankfully, my father had done quite a lot of business in South Africa. I think most parents would have not been too keen to send a 23-year-old by herself uh, to Johannesburg, but they were fine with it. So I started working with the bank in Johannesburg, and that was, uh, yeah, my first experience. So I... Um, I was there and then after three months resigned. So left the sort of protective environment of JP Morgan and started Global Trader with another ex-JP Morgan co-founder. And then, yeah, developed it from there. So that was my first seven-year journey. And I left actually South Africa around 2001, 2002 because Global Trader was expanding globally. And then I came back uh, to buy a holiday home in 2006. I had already moved to Russia and it was cold and miserable. And we were living in one bedroom apartments, you know, 100 yards from the Kremlin, because that's where my husband was working and I had a, a baby. And I'm like, this is just not a family home. So we came down to Cape Town for a weekend, bought a house. And then, yeah, like, you know, four kids later, 10 years later, we actually decide to move back down here in 2015. So we now live in South Africa again. You know, when I read your bio and, and we've been together in other panels as well in YPO. So I'm always wondering, like, how come from trading to impact? What is impact investing, you know, for you? Tell us about this. It's somewhat circular. So the first question is, how do I even ended up ever being in trading, right, in financial products? Because that was even more of a random walk. Uh, so originally, I studied biochemistry. 
And I always thought that I would end up in the pharmaceutical industry, but I detoured via investment banking because, you know, you had a university and all these people come and pitch to you this amazing, dynamic, you know, globe trotting job of being an investment banker. And that actually felt like a cool thing to do because you're not stuck with one company. You learn about lots of companies. But then when I was in investment banking, I then got exposure to what was called the the financial sponsors group, which was all about all these leveraged buyout firms like KKR and such. We were doing these acquisitions of businesses and turning them around. So it was already far more dynamic than just, you know, advising companies on their next 30 year uh, progression. And yeah, so when I started uh, in South Africa and I was sort of in general M&A, when this opportunity came to write a business plan, because that's how it started for Global Trader, I never thought that I would run that business because I didn't even know what a bid offer spread was, you know, so in a trading environment, like I wasn't used to, but I guess your Dutch genes come up and, you know, it just felt like a natural thing to do. And I was more attracted by the prospect of building a company than I was really around the product of, you know, offering financial trading to to retail investors, but getting out of trading into impact, that was far more natural. So after we sold in 2007, which was extremely lucky because, you know, it was the peak of the market. And, you know, we had a, a very significant uh, book of business at Global Trader, I mean, over a billion dollars. So we'd really maximized value and being able to exit at that point was extremely lucky. So that then allowed me to look at other options. And again, it was because of YPO, they had an event in Oxford, um, the Social Entrepreneurs Network had organized this gathering at School World Forum. So Jeff School is the founder of eBay, who also has set up the Social Entrepreneurship Faculty in Oxford. So getting exposed to, oh my God, there are actually business people who are setting up commercial entities that are doing something good for the world. That was actually a mind um, opener. So that brings us to the the narrow definition of impact investing is really investing in businesses that have the intent to solve for some of the world's problems in a commercially viable way. So even within YPO, a lot of people get confused. They think impact investing is, is a philanthropic activity. It's not, right? I mean, you could argue whether or not you get the same financial return in an impact investment as you would get in a mainstream investment. And I'll touch upon that later. But the narrow definition is it's a business like anybody else. You're going to make profits, right? You're going to maximize value. But the reason the business exists is to solve for a problem. And that was originally in 2008, 2010, when we entered into the impact investing space, the definition. Now it's becoming far wider. In fact, I would almost say that any business that can show positive contribution, right? So not neutral, not doing any harm, but actually showing that your business isn't necessarily just solving a problem, but while it is doing a commercial activity, it is contributing to the environment, contributing to society. I think that is now also considered impact investing increasingly. This is very interesting because obviously, you know, with all this explosion uh, during the past years about the opportunities in investing in new companies, like the proliferation on uh, getting uh, VCs or angel money everywhere to find companies today that are not only profitable, but they are doing so good for uh, the environment or the society, the SDGs. I guess that one of the big things probably people would love to know is if you're looking to build uh, your portfolio, you know, what tips would you share in generating a deal flow? So I think there's there's two journeys, and this is something that I'm personally very passionate about, and I think it, it has to be the beginning of it all. So in order to change the world, you have to start with yourself. 
So there is no quick fix of saying, if you want to build a portfolio that's going to solve for the world's problems, this is the ABC list. Because you have to know what the world's problems are. You have to identify the values that you see in the world that you want to direct all your actions to. So it starts with you, right? And I think there's a level of introspection that's required to begin with for the investor to make sure that he embarks on this journey with the right intents. Because if the investor does not have the right intent and just starts you know, spraying money around, it is unlikely that the portfolio will have a lot of impact. So there's a lot of studies that have been on this. So both investor and the investments have to have the intent to positively contribute. So that's a journey you have to go through yourself. Then you have to look at, okay, if I set a certain value standards, I mean, let's give an example, right? So say that you say, I want to become vegetarian. I think it's important that for the environment and for compassion with you know, other living beings, we don't consume meat like we're doing now. And I want to contribute to make that industry grow. So then firstly, you have to become, well, you don't have to, but you know, if you want to walk the talk, you know, become a vegetarian yourself first, try all these products, and then you at least know what the market is like. And then you can really deepen your interest in a particular vertical, which is, you know, plant-based foods, and then identify, you know, what are the targets that meet your risk return requirements? Because like any investment portfolio, it is not just about the impact. It's risk, return, impact. That's the paradigm. And that's also what you need to set as the goal that you want to achieve. So you might say, I'm willing to take medium risk. I'm willing to have a high return. Like I'm looking for high yielding assets, but you know, I want to see a medium level of impact as well. This is not just about window dressing. I want to see an effective, positive contribution. Then with that in hand, you would then go to, you know, the various, you know, institutions or platforms that have, you know, investment opportunities. And we're going to start with that in YPO. So we will create within the YPO Impact Investing Initiative, which is Y3I, we will create a marketplace where we're going to curate, say, in the plant-based food category, specific opportunities that will be YPO or led or associated with YPOers that you could then invest in. But this obviously won't be the only source of deals, right? So that would then be able to expand your horizon to other, you know, whether it's investment banks or, you know, wealth management platforms that will have deals. But coming back to your earlier point, it is true that there's a lot of talk about impact investing. It is true that there's a lot of interest. So of that next generation, say even sort of after the millennials, if you ask them specifically, most of them will say that if they have a choice between investing in an asset that has no transparency on its impact, you don't know if it's good, bad or neutral versus investing in an asset that has at least neutral and ideally positive, but at least transparency about it. 99.9% will choose the latter. They will go for the asset there is uh, transparency around the impact. Even more than that, studies are showing that there's 100 trillion, that's about a third of the world's asset base, sitting in asset owners' hands. So this is sovereign wealth funds, these are like family offices, this is companies that say that they are looking not only for financial return, that risk-adjusted return, they're looking for financial return with a positive contribution. So they want to see that factor in there. Problem is that outside of public disclosures from public equities, which is only a marginal component of the total investable markets, 
we don't have any data on the impact that companies have. It hasn't been prioritized. It hasn't been made visible. So that's the first step. We have to make those companies more visible in terms of you know, their non-financial key performance indicators. What impact are they having in environments, positive, negative, or neutral? What impact are they having in society, positive, negative, or neutral? And then investors will be able to identify themes and impact categories that they really want to further invest in. This is super interesting because one of the most important issues uh, regarding this type of investments are in the transparency and to understand really how much impact these companies are generating. But also on the other side is, I believe that a very interesting aspect would be like, what type of business models are sustainable in the investing opportunities? What do you think on that? Yeah, so I think with the advent of, of a lot of technology solutions, any business model that is going to be deemed to be sustainable, and the word sustainable we have to define as well, right? Sustainable means to endure, right? So it means to endure a healthcare crisis. It means to endure an environmental crisis. It certainly does not mean to cause any of these, right? So, you know, if you can't contribute, that's one thing, but please don't be the cause of some of the, you know, the, the crises that are heading our way. So in order for sustainability models to exist, I think we have to recognize that they're all going to be technology enabled. That is the key, right? Because that drives efficiency. You know, if you do not believe in that, then you are more likely to revert back to analog solutions, which typically don't have the same sustainability footprint because you don't have that transparency on the data. If it's not digital, you can't see real time if you're treating your female and your male employees the same. You can't see real time if you're reducing your carbon. You can't see real time, you know, if you are reducing your energy consumption, your waste, etc. So the first thing is embrace the technology solution. That's part of any sustainable business model. The second thing is there are certain themes. So the themes that I already mentioned earlier is the transition from you know, animal-based food systems to plant-based food systems. And again, even within the plant-based food systems, you need to be, you know, you need to be thorough because there are plant-based food systems that may not actually be that good for the environment or for the individuals. Uh, monocultures, for example, can be very you know, disastrous. So the other theme would be energy transition which is a very, very big thing because that means everything from, you know, moving towards uh, renewable energy as a source for transport. It means that renewable energy as a source for, you know, lighting our buildings, you know, so many assets. It also means access to renewable energy for large parts of the population who don't even have access to, you know, base load energy. So these are themes that exist everywhere. And I think within them, the business models that, you know, are either exclusive or inclusive. So either you're just providing solar panels for the rich in Beverly Hills, which you could say is energy transition, right? They're moving away from their diesel generated air conditioning and, you know, pull the plug in for the hairdryer to something that is more sustainable, but it's not necessarily inclusive, right? So this is another thing. So there's the environmental aspect and then there's the social. And this is within the ESG, which is another, you know, acronym for environmental, social and governance, where a lot of companies are being judged on. A lot of people over the last 10 years have focused on the E because the environmental aspects are easy to measure. People haven't focused so much on the S, the social aspects, because they're more difficult to measure. And, you know, historically, we haven't really done a good job at, you know, attaching any value to them. 
But now, again, in newer sustainable business models, it is proven that if you have women on boards, you know, or your, your management team is more diverse. So this is the, the DEI in the States, the diversity, equity, and inclusion factor that is leading to greater profitability, not just fair treatment for all human beings. It is proven that if you can include those aspects in your business model, in your sustainable business model, you will become an economically more viable and successful company. So that's a very interesting concept. And if anybody wants to read any more, there's actually a YPO called Richard Steele, who just launched a book called Elevated Economics, which is all about that, that companies who will focus on ESG, not only will they do better, they will survive. Because if you do not start looking at these externalities now and these impact factors, you won't exist in 10 years time. No consumer will buy from you and no investor will invest in you. This is amazing, George. It's great, great, great info that you're giving us. If you can give me like three takeaways that uh, you could share with our leaders to help their impact investing journey, what will they be? Like three points. What, yeah. what would it is? Again, it starts with you. Walk the talk, right? So set your value system, develop yourself. Because if you develop yourself, maybe your family has a different value system you go into society looking slightly different than everybody else and you know in your company you'll become a beacon of light and you'll really set a standard which people can follow that's number one the second thing is don't be scared of starting the journey with only very incremental changes right so you know this is not a binary thing you're either sustainable or you're not sustainable this is a journey right there are large companies bp shell exxon that are going through transitions it's okay to go through a transition, but start measuring where you're at now so you can actually improve and then show a change from yesterday, a month ago, a year ago. And I think if you do those two things, leading by example, and then also just making those small steps, I think you will then have the information, the data to make better and better decisions. Because right now it is hard to know, you know, if I pay, say, my female employees, you know, the same as my male employees, which is not the case in most companies, what will that lead to? You know, will that make sure that their kids go to school and that, you know, the, the employee is less stressed and she's less sick? We don't know that yet. So we need to capture that data. And if that is actually the case, or if you reduce your energy, you know, bills in your business, and it turns out that that is correlated to, you know, more trees growing around you or a better profit line. These are factors and correlations we need to establish and we need to make our decisions based on those. This is super amazing. So I'm going to go into this section that I love about the podcast, which is the rapid fire questions. I'm going okay. to make you 10 questions and you're just going to have to answer right away, whatever comes to your mind. There's no right or wrong answer. It's just about, we want to know a little bit more about you and these 10 sure. questions will help us out. You ready? I'm ready. Okay, so let's go. Tea or coffee? Ooh, I used to be tea, but now I'm coffee. <laughs> Good. What about morning or night? Oh, definitely morning. Four or five a.m. You're good. I can't. What about um, what of these three? Time, love, or money? Time, love, or money? Love. Always. And think about way back when you were a child. What was your childhood career? My childhood career? Like what I wanted to be? Yeah. Oh, a dancer or a singer. Neither of them I'm very good at. 
dancer or singer, fantastic. What is the best advice on the career that you have ever had? What, what was it? Just be uh, fearless, you know, go out, take risks, you know, don't be afraid. Beautiful. If you're not in South Africa, where would you live? That's a difficult question. I'm very happy here, but I think I could be happy anywhere. The last book that you read? I'm just reading a book called Humankind, which is extraordinary. It's actually a Dutchman called uh, Rutger Brechman, who actually, for the first time, I think, in modern day history is saying, people by their nature are good. Even when you put them in crisis situation, their goodness comes out. It's only in very extreme situations when they are told by bad leaders to behave in a certain way that that's not the case. It's, it's really a book I encourage everybody to read in these miserable times because it brings back optimism. Beautiful. I, I, we need a little bit of that optimism. And uh, what are you afraid of, Laura? I guess sometimes you're afraid of your own self, right? So, you know, are you making the right choices? Are you making the right decisions? Do you have a good compass between what's right and wrong? So, and that's the only thing you need to really worry about. The rest you can't control anyway. So what keeps you awake at night? I fall asleep within 10 seconds. I wake up very <laughs> early, but I fall asleep within 10 seconds. But nothing worries you at night that can make you feel like not clear no, conscious no. yeah pretty mm -hmm. much so then what makes you wake up i'm just inspired by what i do like i i wake up and i've got like energy to to do what it takes to share um you know some of the experiences with others i think one of the things that we don't celebrate enough in our very white po or driven culture we sort of herald the um the business leader but it's really inspiring when you can just you know hand over to your teams and just agree that this is a cooperative endeavor. This is not just one individual on their own journey. Um, and yeah, I think that inspires me to start, you know, handing over and, and, and being uh, of help to others that want to grow in the same way. Beautiful. Oh my gosh. So you guys, you know, what Flora has told us is you guys need to walk the talk. Do not be scared to start a journey, even if it's little by little. It's okay to transition, improve, and show that you have a chance. And then check your data to make an informed decision. Those are the three takeaways from Fleur. Fleur, I want to thank you so much today for, for being with us and sharing with us all your insights. Thank you so much. No, thank you very much. It was a pleasure. And I want to invite you all to the next episode of Leader of Leaders. My name again is Diana Daniels. I'll be here and super happy to be with you once more in the next time. Stay tuned. See you soon.